Love is in the air because it's Valentine's Day. Which plays did we love from the Seahawks' surprising 2022 season? Rob Rang and I are going to be discussing and debating here on Valentine's Day on the Locked On Seahawks podcast. You are Locked On Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings 12, this is Corbin Smith, host of the Locked On Seahawks podcast, joining me for our Tuesday episode here on Valentine's Day, my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. A special thanks to all the 12s out there for making Locked On Seahawks their first listen five days a week, even on holidays such as today. With it being Valentine's Day, we're going to be looking at some of our favorite plays for the Seahawks in a surprising 9-8 and playoff bound season We'll be taking a look at our latest free agent, Austin Blythe, and see whether or not he's in the Seahawks' plans in 2023 and beyond. And it's Transaction Tuesday. We have an exciting premise for our listeners. Five players, you could only keep two of them for the 2023 season. We'll be discussing which ones our listeners picked, and we'll be sharing our thoughts on which two players should be back. Should be a fun episode here on Valentine's Day. Now for your lead story here on the Locked On Seahawks podcast, with it being one of our favorite holidays, Valentine's Day, if you are married, if you get got a girlfriend, even if you're single, there's, there's something for everybody on Valentine's Day. We didn't have a chance this year to look back at our favorite plays just yet, and this is a perfect time to talk about the plays that we loved during a surprising 2022 season for the Seahawks. So, Rob, I'm going to give you the mic here first. What was your number one play? from this season that stood above the rest? Well, there, there was a lot of them that immediately flooded into my head, Corbin, but I'll tell you one that just stole my heart when it happened. And it, just, it was because part of it was because it was just such an exciting game, but it was the way that Rashad Penny absolutely finished the deal against the Detroit Lions, a 41-yard touchdown with just over two minutes remaining. It kept Seattle competitive in the fourth game of the season. It was a back-and-forth, spectacular, exciting football game, and Rashad Penny served notice that the Seahawks were a team that people need to be paying attention to. And oh, by the way, of course, that victory against the Lions was critical with Seattle ultimately emerging as a playoff team. Yeah, that was one play that I considered for my list just because of the ramifications, a game winner to really put the dagger in a Lions team that just wouldn't go away. But I've got to go all the way back to that exciting Monday night opener against the Broncos. And it's not one play, it's two plays. Really, you could say it was a set of plays. Two goal line stands in the second half where they forced fumbles. Uchenna Nwosu was in on both those plays. Al Woods was involved, Quandre Diggs. And Mike Jackson recovered both of the fumbles. And obviously the Seahawks would not have beaten Russell Wilson in his return to Seattle without those two clutch stops. Those were as big a defensive plays the Seahawks had all year. And just the magnitude of a season opener like that of Monday Night Football with the greatest quarterback in franchise history coming back on a new team and turning his offense away inside the 10-yard line, not once but twice in the second half to secure a one-point victory. To me, those two plays are head and shoulders above everything else. Even though it was only week one, for a lot of people, that felt like the Super Bowl this year with such minimal expectations for this Seahawks team. 
Yeah, it absolutely did. In fact, I'm going to use a memory from that particular game a little bit later in my list as well. But the the one that I'm going to mention next is just when I really started to fall in love with Tariq Woolen's upside. And and that was an interception against Tom Brady in the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, even though it happened in a losing effort. um, You know, you might remember that this was a play. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers decided to get a little bit cute. They did a quick pitch to the running back Leonard Fournette. Fournette decides that he is going to throw to a, it looks like, wide open Tom Brady. Instead, Tariq Woolen races over there, gets the interception, probably would have gone back the other way for touchdown had Tom Brady not stuck his foot out there and tripped Woolen at that point. I just love the fact that it was Brady that had to make some type of a play like that. That's who the Seahawks were making a big play of. And again, it it demonstrated the athletic ability, the superstar uh, potential that is Tariq Woolen. So that, again, was another play that really jumps out to me. It's ironic. I've got Tariq Woolen on play number two on my list for the five plays I love this year, but it was a play where he didn't get tripped up by Tom Brady and it allowed him to score a touchdown. And that was that same game that Rashad Penny scored the game winner against the Lions early in the second half. You just don't see corners make plays like this. He was on the right side as usual and makes his way to the middle of the field, jumps a route to the tight end, TJ Hawkinson from Jared Goff, undercuts the throw, picks it off. The amount of range, there are very few players. There might not be another corner in the NFL that could have made this play, to be honest, because of his height and speed. Undercuts the football, picks it off, and then he jukes Jared Goff out of his shoes inside the five-yard line to ensure that he gets the touchdown. And that ended up being crucial in a game where the Lions put up more than 40 points. Getting defensive points helped the Seahawks win that football game. So we both have Tariq Woolen at number two on our list. Looking at the rest of my list, three through five. Love is in the air here with these plays. I mean, my favorites from the season. Number three, I had to consider Geno Smith's throws because there were so many great ones over the course of the season, but I have to go back to the loss to the Saints in week five. He had two long touchdown throws to Tyler Lockett that were picturesque, and one of them in particular, there were three Saint defenders converging, and there was only one spot that that football could land, that Tyler Lockett would have had any chance to catch it, and that just happened to be where Geno Smith dropped it into, and they were just Perfect throws and maybe the best game that he had all season. My running back play coming in at number four, Ken Walker III breaking the Chargers backs in SoFi Stadium in the fourth quarter, 74-yard touchdown. Part of the reason that's on my list, the tight end blocking. Will Disley and Colby Parkinson both had phenomenal blocks to Spring Walker for that touchdown that really broke the Chargers back. And last but not least, a play that I mentioned actually on yesterday's show Cody Barton in that season finale that the Seahawks barely held on to win in overtime. They might not even have gotten to overtime if not for this clutch third down stop on Cam Akers in the passing game on the opening drive when the Seahawks had short field after a Geno Smith interception. That play, the amount of ground that Cody Barton covered to bring him down short of the sticks and force a field goal instead of them scoring a touchdown or having an extended drive. That was one of those plays that ultimately helped the Seahawks survive and win that game in overtime. Yeah, absolutely spectacular performance. I, I can't disagree with any of your choices, but at the same time, I certainly love my picks as well. I, I'm going to jump in with number three. My 
third overall selection would have been the DK Metcalf basically wearing Jalen Ramsey as a cape when Superman caught that touchdown throw from Juno Smith, one of several um, spectacular throws from Smith over the course of the season, of course. But to beat the defending Super Bowl champion Los Angeles Rams with them defend with with Ramsey, of course, the, the everybody knows who Jalen Ramsey is playing that villain role at the quarterback spot against your superstar and DK Metcalf and for Seahawks fans to see their best player beat the Rams best player, I think was just the icing on the cake. So to me, that is definitely one that, that stands out. Um, I, for no, Another one that I really like is also against the Rams. And I think, again, another reason why the Seahawks fans should take a great deal of comfort in, in what their season was at nine and eight. That may not sound flashy, but the fact that you beat the defending champions twice uh, a year ago, I, I think was spectacular. And so Quandre Diggs getting the interception to, to beat the Rams of Baker Mayfield to catch the ball at the midway point of the season or the midway part of the field, basically run it over to Bobby Wagner. Uh, I just thought, I mean, what a what a joyous moment that was for for Seahawks fans. And finally, Corbin, rather than an actual play on the field, I got to go back to Geno Smith and that opener. Um, you know, I, I think there's so many throws that we could talk about. Uh, you know, there's there's as you said, the defensive stand that the Seahawks showed against the Broncos that was spectacular. Geno Smith going out there and, and being Russell Wilson, his uh, his statement after the game. You know, they wrote me off, but I didn't write back. I mean. All of those things, I think, deserve a great deal of, of love. But to me, what was really interesting is I had the opportunity to be on the field uh, prior to that game. And the way that Geno Smith kind of rallies teammates, the players are all coming out of the tunnel, and Geno Smith was right there. There was all this expectation with Russell Wilson, of course, on the other side. To hear Geno, Geno, the way the crowd got behind Geno Smith and the way he led the Seahawks to victory in that game. He showed the leadership from the get-go. And that, to me, is definitely left an indelible image in my mind when I think back on the 2023 Seahawks season. Yeah, you could really just put here the joy that Geno Smith played with this entire yeah. season, the way it rubbed off on his teammates. So that in itself, I think, is definitely deserving to be on this list. So kudos to you for and honestly coming up with just five plays with this season not having the expectations going in and then finding a way to have a winning record and make the playoffs, there was just there was a lot to be excited about watching this football team as they exceeded those expectations and blew them out of the water. Coming up next, it's Transaction Tuesday. As we're going to do each and every Tuesday leading up to the start of free agency, we're going to look at a position group or a group of players, and you, the listener, has to decide which players will be back in 2023 and which ones will be playing elsewhere. We're going to be looking at offensive skill players Coming up next here on our Tuesday edition of Locked on Seahawks. Now for a word from our sponsor, BetterHelp. Life can be full of challenges. Over the past year, our family has undergone significant strife with family members dealing with debilitating health issues, and it can be a struggle to cope with that mentally. Life can be full of twists and turns, so it's important to show yourself through it all, and BetterHelp Online Therapy will assess your needs and can match you to your own licensed professional therapist in less than 48 hours. Therapy has worked wonders for me, but don't just take my word for it. Having someone in your corner to guide you when you're struggling to navigate obstacles can be invaluable. It's not a crisis line. It's 
it's not self-help. It's professional therapy done securely online and available to people worldwide. With therapy, can take a few tries to find the right fit for you, and BetterHelp is a great way to invest in yourself. BetterHelp has a special offer for all of our listeners. Get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com slash on. That's 10% off your first month of online therapy at BetterHelp.com slash on. You're listening to the Tuesday edition of Locked on Seahawks. It's your host, Corbin Smith. Glad, as always, to be joined by my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. A special thanks to all the 12s out there, whether this is your first time hearing us ramble about the Seahawks or you're a diehard listener. We greatly appreciate all of you for taking the time to make Locked on Seahawks your first listen five days a week. It's Transaction Tuesday. We started this series last week looking at the defensive line and The theme of this is looking at certain groups of players or positional groups and figuring out which players will be back in 2023 and which ones will not. And rather than just focusing on one position group, Rob, you and I decided looking at pending free agents that it was time to discuss skill players on the offensive side of the football. And we've got five players up for a roster spot this next season. And the backfield, Rashad Penny and Travis Homer. And then you've got receivers, Marquise Goodwin and Laquan Treadwell, and then special teams ace Godwin Igubuke also can play the running back position as well. You can only pick two of these five to be on the roster next year. And Rob, before we weigh in, we did get a lot of different responses from our listeners. Going to comb through a few of these. Our first one coming from Tony in Montana. We greatly appreciate our listeners outside of state. He said, Homer and Iguabuke. Homer is our best third down back and a great special teamer. I don't think he will cost much, and there are older players with bigger contracts that can be cut. And then he also said Iguabuke because he is explosive, and I think he can work into more than just a specialist role. Our second response that we picked here from Seahawks Italia, A and E. So picked Rashad Penny and Iguabuke. said Penny can be a cheaper option for RB2 if healthy, and then Iggy is a solid returner. And then Dane Mosher, this one was an interesting one as well. He said, easy, Penny will be back on a bargain deal, best big play threat running back in the NFL. And Marquise Goodwin is a serviceable wide receiver, number four with speed and high character, which obviously that's something that's important to the Seahawks as well. And probably my favorite one, we like the ones that have wordplay or had puns in them, as we had with Harris and Ford last week. Henry T says Godwin and Goodwin. Otherwise, we'd be winless. <laughs> I absolutely <just laughs> loved that. But uh, thank you to all of our listeners that chimed in. We got a lot of interesting responses. I would say that the most popular one, based on looking at our responses, the most popular pick has been Homer and Iguibuke, going with the two guys that have special teams value and probably are not going to cost a lot of money to resign. I dish the mic to you, Rob, here on Transaction Tuesday, and we've got five players. You can make arguments for all of them, but you can only keep two players for 2023. Which two are you keeping and why? Well, again, I, I just love the the little wordplay joke there with God win and good win, and Seattle wouldn't have any wins if they lost those two players. So very well done to our listeners. Thank you, as always, for those contributions. Uh, you know, Corbin, as you said, there's five players. See, if I had to rank them in how I think that Seattle should prioritize bringing them back, I might surprise some people by mentioning Rashad Penny first, um, because I love the fact that our most popular responses were, you know, guys like Travis Homer um, and Marquise Goodwin or Gawain Ibukay, because of course they didn't have the. 
durability issues nearly as much, at least as Rashad Penny has had. So I understand that rationale, but again, just the likelihood that you're able to bring back Rashad Penny on a relatively team-friendly deal and the upside that he offers when he is on the field. I mean, he is a guy that, again, that can tilt the field back in your favor, give you actual victories, not just a play here or there, but actual team wins. We talked about that just a couple of moments ago. So I would start off with Rashad Penny. Number two for me would be Marquise Goodwin, uh, the wide receiver, um, the, the character things, the just straight line speed that he offers my concerns about the wide receiver depth in this year's draft class the struggles that we've seen from d eskridge and uh you know in developing to this point so to me those are the top two i still think you can make a really really strong argument for travis homer for igwe Bukate, maybe a little bit less for laquan treadwell although i would argue that that suggests again that seattle is very much trying to pay attention to them some of the wide receiver talent that's out there but again for me Really simply, I would go with Rashad Penny and then Marquise Goodwin, the wide receiver. Yeah, my list would be somewhat similar to yours. I would have Penny at number one, too, just because we know what he is capable of. And I don't think he is going to be getting any monstrous offers from anybody because of the injury history, especially coming off a broken ankle. Teams are not going to be lining up, throwing him 4 or $5 million on a one-year deal. Now, maybe with incentives, he can reach that point, but... The Seahawks, I think, affordably can bring him back as a secondary runner. And the good news is, unlike ACL tears and stuff like that, broken bones usually have a pretty set timeline for coming back. And Penny was close to playing in the playoffs. If they would have advanced another week or two, we might have seen Rashad Penny return this season. So he is going to be ready to go. He'll be well ahead of schedule to be back for next season. So I think Penny, with that home run hitting ability, him and Ken Walker the third together. You can never have too many explosive running backs with the injuries that happen at that position. So him as a secondary back, I think would be a really nice uh, boost for this backfield. And I think there's a good chance that he's going to be back because I don't expect the price to be outrageous. I would have Igwebuke at number two on my list. And he's an exclusive rights free agent. So it's pretty cheap to bring him back and teams can't throw matching offers. So he's going to be really easy to bring back. So you're looking at expense and just how explosive he was as a kick returner. That has value by itself. I'm intrigued by maybe him competing for the third down role next year as well. So I just look at the price point that you'd be paying him. And it's a no brainer to me that Penny and Iguibuke, because of Iguibuke's special teams contributions, he should be your kick returner next year with what he did those last four or five games for the Seahawks explosiveness and decisiveness. We just haven't seen there since Tyler Lockett was the guy that was returning kicks several years ago. So those would be my first two. And then after that, I would have Marquise Goodwin as third. My concerns with him, he's getting to be an older player and he also is coming off of an injury. He's had several injuries in his career. So I'm wondering if Seattle can go with a younger option there. And maybe that's through the draft. Maybe that's through the free agent route. But certainly he was productive. He was an upgrade over what they've had at the number three receiver position. I just don't know that you can count on him being that productive again in 2023. So that's why he's number three on my list. Homer is at number four. If he didn't have the injury baggage, he doesn't have the big playability that Rashad Penny does. Penny can keep getting opportunities because we have seen that out of the backfield. Homer hasn't done much when he's had opportunities to play on offense. That's just the reality. He's a very good special teams player. He's an excellent pass protector, though I thought he took a little bit of a step back there this year in the action he had on offense. I just look at the injury history, and he's not a guy that can return kicks. 
I just think Iguibuque makes more sense than what he does. And I would maybe draft a guy that I can mold into a third down back, or maybe DJ Dallas can be that guy. You still have him under contract. So that's why Homer is not my top priority from this group. And Treadwell is a very distant fifth. Could he be back on your practice squad? Absolutely. But he got beat out by Kate Johnson late in the year for reps. I just don't see him being a guy that's going to be in line for battling for any snaps on offense and training camp for the Seahawks, especially after bouncing around with a bunch of different teams. To me, he's the player on this list that it was pretty easy for me to pass him off. And not that he can't play, but I just feel like the other guys offer more special teams value or quite frankly are just better, more dynamic players such as Rashad Penny. Yeah, I 100% agree with you. And I, I think I love the the fact that you mentioned Marquise Goodwin's uh, struggles with durability over his career. Again, to me, that, that would be the one thing that I would say is that while that's true, um, you know, th these guys who have breakaway speed like Penny, like Goodwin are, are just relatively rare. And so unless you find somebody who is going to replace that speed, um, then you do need to make sure that you retain it. Um, because again, where Seattle has two superstars, the wide receiver position, obviously they don't have a lot of speed past them. And so I do think that that makes that position a, a one of concern for this club. Coming up next, we're going to continue our free agent primers. We're going to go to the offensive line, the pivot position at center. It has been an area of concern for a number of years. Austin Blythe did bring some stability. Is he going to be back in 2023? And if so, is he going to be back as a starter? Rob and I will be discussing in our next segment here on our Tuesday edition of Locked On Seahawks. This episode is brought to you by Built Bar. Looking for a delicious treat but don't want all the fat and calories? Then you got to try a Built Bar. We just got through the holiday season. I know my goal is to eat a little healthier this year. If you're like me and you want to eat healthier but don't want to compromise taste, then you've got to try Built Bar. Built is actually tasty, and they're so delicious you won't think they're good for you. It's perfect for your New Year's resolution. Covered in 100% real chocolate with amazing flavors such as churro, peanut butter, brownie, and coconut almond. I'm not sure how Built does it, but these bars taste like a candy bar while maintaining amazing macros, just 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, and a whopping 17 grams of protein. And now you don't have to wait around to get a box. For years, we've been telling you to order Built Bars at Built.com. Now you can get them at your local Walmart or Sam's Club. If you head over over to your nearest Walmart today, walk to the pharmacy section and grab yourself a box of Built Bars. You can pick up a four-bar box of cookies and cream, double chocolate, or coconut puffs. And if you're close to Sam's Club, you can run in and grab a 13-bar box with other hit flavors such as brownie batter and churro. You can thank me later. Welcome back to the Locked On Seahawks podcast. Happy Valentine's Day to all of our listeners. I'm your host, Corbett Smith. Glad to be joined, as always, by my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. And a special thanks to all the 12s out there for listening to our show on a holiday and making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. Free agency, we are closing in on a month until the start of the new league year. Hard to believe, but it's not going to be long until teams are going to be pitching a lot of cash to their own players or players from other teams. And the Seahawks, as has been the case for several seasons running in a row, they have question marks at the center position. Austin Blythe was brought in last year, very familiar with Shane Waldron and Andy Dickerson. They worked together in L.A., so that made him a natural fit to replace Ethan Posick, who signed with the Cleveland Browns and ironically had the best season of his career in Cleveland. But nonetheless, Posick left. They replaced him with Austin Blythe. And there were some good things this past season from Blythe. I think the most notable thing is 
his impact on the rest of the offensive line. When you have two rookie tackles in Charles Cross and Abraham Lucas that started from day one, you have to have a center that is an outstanding communicator that can keep those players in line and help them pick up their blitzes and understand their blocking assignments. And from what the coaches and from what the players said, Austin Blythe could not have done a better job. From a communication standpoint, understanding the offense, Seattle couldn't have done any better. And that's obviously the biggest strength for Blythe as he heads towards free agency for the third straight year. Yeah, and that's very well said. I think that it's easy for people to criticize Austin Blythe because he just is not a physically big, uh, you know, overpowering man the way you normally see offensive linemen in today's NFL. Um, but again, his mind really made a lot easier on those rookie offensive tackles. So I, I love that you highlighted the familiarity with Shane Waldron, Andy Dickerson's offense. And then again, just the fact that blight was prioritized because of Seattle's inexperience or their, you know, what they were anticipating was going to be their inexperience, the offensive tackle positions. And I'd ask people, to kind of think back a year ago when Seattle was starting Kyle Fuller at the center position and even the pro bowler Dwayne Brown, you could see at times how frustrated he was with the lack of communication from the young center Kyle Fuller. So I think that that really does demonstrate how important or the importance that Seattle placed on Bly's intelligence and ability to communicate. Now, all of that said, you just have to be bigger and stronger at the point of attack if you are going to be able to run the ball, control the clock the way that Seattle has done throughout the Pete Carroll era. Uh, and so I do think that this is a position of concern. I would love to see Seattle bring Austin Blythe back. I just also think that you have to get bigger and stronger at your starter at that center position. So similar to what we talk about with quarterbacks, that you'd like to draft a young quarterback and let him learn behind the starter presumably Geno Smith, I would love to see Seattle draft a young center and allow him to learn behind Austin Blythe and hopefully take over that role. I'm going to be more blunt. I'm going to be honest. I don't want to draft a center that is going to learn under Austin Blythe. I want to draft a center that is going to beat him out. And so this is my viewpoint. I think that bringing Blythe back on a one-year deal similar value to last year. He had a one-year $4 million deal. I think that you could maybe offer him a similar contract this year. And that is not necessarily starter money. I would be okay with that contract. If you draft a rookie and Blythe beats him out, earns the job, cool. That's great. But this is a pretty good center class. And you've also got a couple of guard prospects that I think could be centers in the National Football League as well. Cody Mock from North Dakota State, just being one name that I could throw out there. And so... I look at this as a prime opportunity with the Seahawks having so many picks in the first three days. Go get yourself a franchise center. They have not had one since arguably Justin Britt, and I don't know if he was that player either. Really, Max Unger was the last top 10 center that the Seahawks had, and then they traded him to get Jimmy Graham. And ever since then, it's kind of been a rotating musical chairs in the position, and they've struggled. And there's a lot to like about Blythe. There, there's a reason why I'm not just saying discard him, and it's because in pass protection, he was serviceable. He gave up three sacks last year. Pro Football Focus ranked him 16th out of 30 qualified centers. So he was squarely in the middle of the pack, and even though he got physically bullied at times, I thought that he held up a lot better in pass protection. My concern, though, is the run blocking, and he's at the stage of his career where he isn't going to suddenly pack on 10 or 15 pounds. That's not going to happen. 
He's a sub 300 pound center that plays like a sub 300 pound center. Physically, he cannot hold up at the point of attack against bigger defensive linemen that he is going to consistently face week in, week out, especially in the rugged NFC West. And when the Seahawks had that four or five game stretch where they could not run the football to save their lives, one of the biggest issues was Austin Blythe in the middle. And he's trying. It's not an effort thing, but teams were putting big 330, 340-pound guys across from him, and they were taking advantage of that. It just isn't a fair matchup. And so as in terms of a long-term starter, I just don't see that from a run-blocking standpoint. If the Seahawks were a team that wasn't focusing on running the football and they were an air raid offense, I think Austin Blythe would be a better fit. But a team that wants to get downhill with the run game and they want to be able to establish a balanced offense, especially in this physical black and blue division that is the NFC West, I just have concerns about him as a viable long-term guy. He could be your starter in 2023, and you could do a lot worse than Austin Blythe. But I also think the Seahawks can do a lot better, especially with this being a draft class that's got a lot of intriguing prospects. And so that's my viewpoint. I'm drafting to get my guy that starts on day one. If that doesn't happen, it doesn't happen. But I'm not looking like the quarterback position. Maybe I can mold a guy for a year or two. No, I'm looking to use an early pick. Let me get a guy that can start on day one. No, I, I, ideally, I think that's what uh, that would be the situation. And Seattle would make that that commitment. They just have not done that yet. And, and so that's why I'm a little concerned. And they need to. That. That's, the, that's the argument here. It's time. Stop messing exactly. around. Exactly. You have that many draft picks. The center class is that good. Um, and again, I think that it's you know, just just look at the two teams that are just competed for the Super Bowl, you know, and, and the caliber of play you saw with the future Hall of Famer and Jason Kelsey for the Philadelphia Eagles. And of course, they the young pro bowler that the Seahawks fans know all too well with Creed Humphrey for the Kansas City Chiefs. And I think it just it is critical in today's NFL where teams are getting more and more creative with their ability to create pressure um, and then just the, the size of these behemoths in the middle especially in the NFC West division as you mentioned that you be able to have somebody who is a you know it, a force at that center position not somebody who is going to just be able to kind of get by which i think that a lot of nfl teams have been able to get away with that at center for so long but as you said when the seahawks want to run the ball downhill the center is the the bottom of the hill you know and so you really have to be able to kind of create that forward movement and it's been so long since seattle's had a guy like that so yeah that's why that center has been a position of high priority in both of the mock drafts that, that we've produced i do expect it to be something that seattle addresses but at the same time with the draft of course in the very late stages of, of april early may in free agency before that i would not be surprised at all to see seattle bring back awesome but or at least offer him that one year similar deal as what he just had to make sure that they have that box kind of checked and that way you can get the center rather than being forced and every club knows that you're going to be using an early pick on a center. Yeah, I would agree. I think that he should be a priority to resign just as a serviceable swing lineman because he has started games at guard previously in the NFL. And if I had to throw Austin Blythe into the lineup as a guy to replace somebody injured for a game or two, I'd be confident because he does know the offense. He's very experienced. He has been an average starter in the league. So having a player like that that can play multiple positions available to you as a swing lineman would be 
and a it would be an invaluable thing for the Seahawks offensive line. I just don't think from a long-term perspective, though, especially with the run blocking, I just don't see him being a guy that is your starter 2023, 2024, 2025. I think they need to get a bigger body guy that can excel in pass protection, but it can also get after in the run game. And there are going to be options in this draft. So give yourself that security blanket by re-signing him. If you can agree to that one-year deal, I think Blythe would consider it. There's going to be interest out from team. There are other centers that are going to be hitting the free agent market that may have a little bit more value that are bigger body guys. That being said, you know, all it takes is one other team to say, Hey, we'll give you a little bit more money. And maybe he leaves. If that happens, it happens. You go out and you draft yourself a center that can be your franchise pivot guy that they have lacked for the last decade. They need to go out and they need to address that, especially when you have your two bookends now set. You have a good left guard and Damian Lewis. You need to figure out right guard and center for the future, though. I'm just not sure that Austin Blythe is that guy. We'll see what the Seahawks choose to do. He's obviously a very popular player with the coaching staff, and for good reason. Again, he is familiar with the system, great leadership intangibles, with solid and pass protection. From a long-term standpoint, though, the Seahawks have to be looking for an upgrade while keeping him on the roster if they can to allow them to have some flexibility heading towards the draft. As always, you can follow me on Twitter, Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Rob at Rob Rang. Make sure to check Locked on Seahawks on all major podcast platforms as well as five days a week on YouTube. Coming up on our Wednesday episode, going to continue our end-of-season report cards looking at the interior offensive line, a good uh, discussion after looking at Austin Blythe's pending free agency. We'll be looking at the guards and centers, and we'll also be kicking off some free agent-related topics, looking at some edge rushers that may be of interest to the Seahawks heading towards free agency. Enjoy the rest of your Tuesday. Thanks for listening in. Go Hawks.